You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Friday, December 30th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to look at the 2022 box office uh, see what lessons Hollywood might learn and what it can tell us about the future of movies. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. Joining me at this podcast, Slash Film Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Uh, and box office analyst. I forgot to, to put that in your title there, Ryan. Uh, but yeah, okay. So uh, you wrote this article on the site, the 2022 box office exit survey, the good, the bad, and what comes next. And uh, this article is great. I highly recommend people check that out. Uh, check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, but we're going to go over so, some of it uh, on this podcast because I thought it was interesting. I, you know, we often talk about box office numbers on this podcast, but to me, the most interesting thing about the box office numbers is, you know, what does this tell us about the future of movies? You know, what, how how is this success or bomb? What what lessons is Hollywood going to take? So uh, I think this is the podcast to talk about that. So uh, 2022, how does it compare? Well, actually, before before I, I ask you that, I'm like, we just came off of a pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, we were doing this podcast. And one of the main worries from me and many of my co-hosts was, was the theatrical experience would not come back after that would not return after the pandemic. 
that uh, everything was going to go to the streaming. You know, HBO Max was showing all the theatrical uh, Warner Brothers movies. Uh, Twenty twenty one showed us that people were willing to go back to the theaters, but I mean, most of the box office was was led by like one or two movies. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, uh, is the box office returning to normal? Is it better than twenty twenty one? Um. Without question, it's better than 2021. There are a lot of indicators of that, and we can get into that. Um, you know, there's a lot of specifics there. Uh, I think the problem with 2021 is that, you know, a lot of people in the industry, you know, after 2020, they were like, okay, 2021, it's going to be a big rebound, and it's going to be like a quick rebound, and it just wasn't that way. And the one thing I didn't talk too much about in my piece, because I just felt like it might be its, its own thing, is that I think consumer habits changed a lot. And I think, you know, you know, there. I talked about this right when it happened back in 2020 at my old website. But, you know, once premium VOD became a thing and once you told people you can have new movies at home, coupled with streaming, coupled with other things, you know, you can't close Pandora's box. You know, altering consumer habits is a very difficult thing to reverse. Uh, we've seen this in the music industry many, many times and, you know, many other industries. So now what's happened to the movie industry. And I think that is kind of still the thing you're fighting a little bit is consumer habits of change. But taking that outside of it, there are a number of indicators we have that things are definitely looking up. It's just that that climb back to something resembling normalcy in the theatrical marketplace, things probably won't stabilize for another year or two still, but we're getting better. Yeah. So how does 2022 compare to 2021 and uh, even more the, the pre-COVID years overall? Yeah, so like raw dollars wise, uh, we we haven't gotten it. Probably should be any day now, but we should be getting the final global tally for 2022. So I don't have that just yet, but uh, 2021 uh, was 21.4 million globally. But um, it, it looks like we're going to do much better than that this year. Uh, so like for one thing, so the top ten movies of 2021 grossed. 7.6 million dollars 7.6 billion total and that is even if we count the final gross for spider-man no way home a movie that made a whole bunch of its money in 2022 now the top 10 movies in 2022 they made 8.8 billion dollars and again avatar still got a lot of money to make so we're looking really good um and honestly before new year's that number will probably climb closer to 9 billion with what avatar does and you're also looking at three movies this year eclipse the $1 billion mark, whereas only one movie did that last year. So things were a little more evenly spread in that department. And, uh, it, you know, so th this year's box office uh, domestically was, uh, what was it, around 67% uh, domestic, domestically was about 67% uh, above um, uh, last year. So, uh, you know, uh, 2021 was only... Um, you know, 4.48 billion domestic, whereas this year we're projected to finish at 7.4. So yeah, that's, that's a hell of a big difference. And um, so, you know, if you project that out 67% over 21.4 billion gets you to somewhere in the mid thirties, I think. Uh, so that's pretty good. Um, I hate to put you on the spot, but like, how does that compare to like 2019 or do you know what I mean? Like the years before the plague hit us. So uh, 2019, it hit a record 42.5 billion worldwide. Um, it was a ridiculous year. There were like eight or nine movies that made over a billion dollars. Avengers Endgame was the highest grossing movie ever for a time. Um, 2019 was, I think the biggest problem is that like 
2019, the year right before the pandemic, was like a record-shattering year in a lot of ways. So like the 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 closest year you have for comparison, it was just like off the charts. Um, so I don't think we're ever going to get back to those 2019 numbers for a, a myriad of reasons we can discuss, but we can get back to something closer to normalcy. Oh, so we hit 41.4 billion in 2018. So it was very similar numbers. Um, so, I mean, do, I don't know. I, I mean, we could maybe, I, I could see us getting back to like maybe around that $40 billion number, but that would be with inflation as well. So like, you know, you won't necessarily in raw ticket sales ever get back to where you were at like 2018, 2019. But I think if certain trends go the right way and we can not necessarily totally retrain consumers, but sort of shift the flow of product in a certain way, um, I, I think I think we can get back to to closer to normalcy. Really? Okay. I'm a little surprised by that because I thought like, uh, like you said, the, the training of consumers, I think people are now uh, used to, you know, a movie being on premium VOD, what a month after it hits theaters. So so, now I'm like, maybe I should just wait. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to leave the house for for this movie. I think the other thing I didn't talk about enough in the piece was that like, you know, the the windowing is really confusing now where like some movies are home after 17 days. Some movies are home after three months. Like the problem is there's no consistent like windowing now for VOD and home video. So like people are just content to wait, even if they don't know how long that wait is going to be. Um, yeah. And I think that like we really should try to get back to. And again, I don't know, that requires a lot of negotiation and stuff. But I think we really need to try to get back to a more consistent you know, theatrical windowing thing. Um, but you know, that takes, that takes, uh, that takes some cooperation. Yeah. I, I could be wrong on some movies. It's like, even the exhibitors and distributors don't know when it's going to hit premium VOD. It's all dependent on how well it's doing at the box office and the distributor can decide to go early or not. Yep. So, yeah. So there are benchmarks where like, if it falls out of the top five or something, um within a certain amount of time they can then move it to vod that can be the distributor's choice and so yeah the the exhibitors the movie theaters don't have a lot of say in that and you know so that that gets complicated for them for sure okay so the box office is rebounding that's good uh but there's some big challenges ahead yeah, there's a few. So I think we talked about a couple, which is stuff I didn't go too much to into article into the article because there's not as much like data for like changing consumer habits and there's not as much data for like how to change windowing. These are just things I sort of think. So I tried to focus on stuff I could quantify a little bit. But yeah. um the the biggest challenge is uh still like adult oriented original movies of any kind. Um and unless you are a horror movie like Barbarian or Smile, um original movies are faltering miserably. Um, it, it, this is an area where, you know, even movies that made a relatively decent amount of money were failures against their budgets. So, like, it, it, it's brutal. Everything Everywhere All at Once was very much the exception this year, not the rule. And that movie also, it's worth noting, was made for, like, a lower mid-budget range. You know, that movie was only a $25 million budget, so you're not risking as much there. Um, but yeah, I mean like, you know, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg's latest only made $11 million, you know, that's crazy that Steven Spielberg can't make Yeah, Steven Spielberg can't make $20 million. Like that's, that's, that's insane. 
And and you know when you're looking at even West Side Story made like 76 million, but that movie was doomed by its budget being 100 million dollars. Whereas like The Fablemans was a much more reasonable, I think, 40 million. And yeah, a Steven Spielberg movie can't get anywhere near that 100 million dollars that it needed to break even. So, um, you know, that that's 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 one example. But then you even have stuff like Tar, the Kate Blanchett movie that from Focus that was viewed as very much an Oscar film. It's only made $5.5 million, even something somewhat commercial, like see how they run that caper with, um, uh, Sam Rockwell only made 22 million. You know, the list goes on and on, uh, even something with a somewhat commercial friendly vibe, the Northman, uh, that had a $90 million budget and it only made 69 million. So like, you know, it was just all over the place. And even you can go to some original horror like Bodies, 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 the A24 movie only made $13 million. Not a really a disaster because it was a cheap movie to make, but still, you know, Amsterdam being maybe the biggest example, making only $31 million against a $90 million budget. We just talked about Babylon earlier this week, which bombed. So, yeah, I mean, you know. Babylon had some big names attached to it. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I, I guess we've talked about this in previous years, but it's seeming to me that movie stars and even filmmaker stars, you know, like Steven Spielberg used to <laughs> command an audience. Brad Pitt used to command an audience. And it, it, it feels like there's less and less of those those names that people will go out of the house for. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. But again, I think so much of that has to do with, you know, just just so many of these movies are viewed as streaming movies and people are so much more picky about what they'll leave the house for now. And so I think this like intimate family story that Steven Spielberg made was not the type of thing, you know, people like in their head, they go, Oh, that's a streaming movie or that's something I can wait for, you know, because movie theaters have become an experiential thing for people. Whereas like just the, the process of going to a movie used to be an experience for people or something that would people would more casually do. Um, That's just not the case anymore. And part of that is because going to the movies can be very expensive. And so that's part of it. But yeah, it, it's just insane to me. Like, what do you think this means for the future of movies that someone like Spielberg or, you know, a movie starring Brad Pitt, you know, you have to have the movie star hanging off the hanging off a plane to, to, to mean anything. You know, Tom Cruise is the only movie star that has value these days. And that's because he's risking no, but, his but life. Even, but even that's Tom Cruise when he's promising spectacle. Like yeah. Tom Cruise, when he's not promising spectacle, what was that movie? American Made, uh, I think that drug movie he did a handful of years ago. I like that movie, but that didn't perform, you know, terribly well. And that was even pre-pandemic. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the big thing, though, and what I argued in my piece is that this is an area where I think you need to try to commit to to sort of making a point to consumers that, look, theatrical is still the way for a lot of this stuff and i think that you know they need to really market these movies heavier even though that does add to the cost i think you need to try to market heavier and to the right people um you know and you you we do have some cases this year where it did work like everything everywhere all at once so like it's possible so but i think part of it is too some of these movies were extremely long um i don't know if that helps your case any I think that helped, you know, Avatar could overcome that, but I don't know that, you know, uh, a movie like Babylon can overcome that, right? Like people might hear that and go forget it, you know? So I think, you know, maybe try to make these movies a little shorter, maybe try to push heavier in the marketing. And I know this is not something that like, it's easy for me to say, 
but I think studios need to bite the bullet for a couple of years, still continue to make these movies and market these movies and train consumers again to be like, these are movies that are theatrical things. And then maybe hopefully in a year or two, we can get back to a place where these movies are making some money again, but you can't just abandon this. Yeah. Uh, another thing, the last 10 years, superheroes have been on the top of the box office. And this is the first year that we're seeing a little bit of a falter. And we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so 2022 is the first year that I feel like superheroes are not reigning supreme at the box office. Well, so it's a pretty unique thing. So I actually wasn't able to go back, like I didn't go back far enough to look at the last time it happened, but but it, you know, pretty much since the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been a thing, we've had somewhere in the top three movies, there's been a superhero movie, you know, as one of the highest grossing movies worldwide. But this year, uh, 2020 doesn't really count, right? Because 2020, no you know, it was, it wasn't like a proper year, but, but this year, the top three movies at the worldwide box office are Top Gun Maverick, Avatar, The Way of Water and Jurassic World Dominion. Um, it is not until number four on the charts where we get to Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty crazy that the top three spots for the first time in a very, very, very long time did not belong to a superhero movie. Um, I mean, you know, that's, genuinely impressive stuff and and what i think is important there is that you know the superhero movie boom is is gonna pop at some point i mean it nothing lasts forever i'm not saying we won't get superhero movies but i'm saying at some point audiences are gonna want something else and i think even though these were all franchise films at in the top three spots it does demonstrate that there is a way forward that there are other things that can attract audience attention on a global scale but do you think that this do you think this is like in history, we're going to look back and we're going to be like 2022 was the beginning of the end of superhero dominance at the box office? Oh, God, no. Um, with some of the stuff that Marvel has coming down the pipeline, I think phase four was a bit of an anomaly for them. Um, I, I would not be surprised if Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania becomes the highest grossing Ant-Man movie. Um, I, I mean, Deadpool 3 is, I mean... I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you're looking at a potential billion dollar movie there, you know, with Hugh Jackman coming back as Wolverine. I think Secret Wars is, is going to be a gangbusters event. I, I, I 
it is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I think, could easily be the highest grossing movie of 2023. It, it No, and I also think I'm very curious to see what James Gunn is going to be doing with the new DC stuff. I think that could inject some life there. I think Shazam Fury of the Gods is going to do well. I think Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is going to do well. The Flash is a bit of a question mark for me, but but yeah, I, I don't think that that bubble's anywhere near ready to burst. <clears throat> and you got to remember, we got like Joker 2 coming down the pipeline. We've got the Batman 2 coming down the pipeline. We're just not there yet. We're not at the bubble bursting area yet, but someday it will. Okay, so what lessons can we learn from 2022? Uh, maybe like uh, streaming only releases? Yeah, so this was my biggest, I would say if I have one takeaway from this year, um, it's, and, and and you know, look, D- David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, is a guy that gets a lot of shit, and he probably deserves a lot of shit. But there's some things that he has intuited from the streaming business that are correct. One of those things to me is that expensive streaming only releases make zero sense anymore. Um, and, and, uh, you know, there's just almost no case for it. Um, I started to believe this last year when Encanto made like 200 million worldwide and, you know, that's fine. It wasn't great for what it was, but then, so ultimately that probably covered the budget for the movie. So Disney maybe kind of came close to breaking even, but then that movie became a gigantic hit on Disney plus like absolutely gigantic. And so much of that was propelled by the fact that the theatrical release brought a lot of buzz to it. Um, And so like even something like Lightyear this year, Lightyear was a gigantic bomb, but it going to theaters brought attention to it. So then when it went to Disney plus, it did end up becoming a huge hit for Disney plus. I don't know that it would have done as much numbers on Disney plus without that theatrical release which did generate some revenue, even if it wasn't nearly enough to, you know, to cover, you know, what it needed. So I guess my point is that it's hard to make an argument against a theatrical release um, for a big movie. I don't see where, you know, in this day and age that the subscriber boost you get from it being exclusive to a streaming service matters anymore. It mattered when there was less streaming competition. It mattered when Netflix was king of that department. I don't think it matters as much anymore. Um, you know, I think people just want to watch the thing they want to watch and they'll watch it when they can, where they can. Um, so I think if you've made an expensive movie, you should probably see what you can get out of it from ticket sales at the box office. <laughs> I don't think Netflix is going to listen to you, Ryan. But, um, you know, let's talk about Disney Plus for a second. Like, what do you think is going to happen to these movies like uh, uh, like Disenchanted or Hocus Pocus? Do you think in the future those are going to be like a limited times like like a mini series would that be no like I, I, I think to... i think no i think hocus pocus 2 was one of the things this year that they they left money on the table like i i you know i i know that movie wasn't reviewed reviewed very well the original wasn't yeah. reviewed very well i mean i think that movie would have been especially in that post summer like lull that we had, there was room for that movie at the box office. And again, I think that like a a, a theatrical release only would have helped that movie later. Um, Yeah, no, I think they left money on the table there. And so I think, sure, maybe some things get the green light as a series, but I think um, ultimately the move is you make that movie the way you were going to make it, but you make it with the thought of theatrical first. Um, And I'm not saying make no movies for streaming. I'm just saying if you're going to make a movie for streaming, it should be, you know, a relatively inexpensive movie. 
Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to make a 80, $100 million movie that's never going to have a revenue stream other than it exists on our subscription streaming service. That model is showing its limitations this year. But the question is, like, what movie is good enough to convince people to buy a subscription or, you know, be happy that they're paying for a subscription, you know, to satisfy that subscription price that isn't, you know, a, you know, a Star Wars, a Marvel, you know, a, a franchise kind of thing. Um, I don't think that's the model anymore, right? Like, I think that maybe you make shows that are for that. Um, yeah. I think that then, and then like eventually your theatrical hits go exclusive to your streaming service. And that's what gives the streaming service value, you know, like Top Gun Maverick being on Paramount plus Jackass forever being on Paramount plus scream being on Paramount plus, you know, like these things like that gives value to that service. But then also like, you know, exclusivity is nonsense now. And we've talked about this before. We're like Paramount made a ton of money this year by, you know, like letting their movies be on VOD as well. You know, they made a ton of money on VOD because of that. And then they still got the benefit of Paramount Plus. So I, I don't know. Again, I just I'm seeing I'm the, the exclusive streaming release, but more to the point, like exclusivity and discluding other revenue streams is nonsense uh, in my view at this point. Yeah. Uh, is it time for Hollywood to say goodbye to China? It is. T uh, thank you, Peter, for teeing up that ball. So obviously uh, it is time to uh, for for Hollywood to say goodbye to China. Uh, this the, for, for those of you who don't follow this stuff um, religiously for the past, pretty much since Avatar. So around, let's say 2010. Uh, Hollywood was chasing China for about a decade. Uh, Avatar made a boatload of money in China and it had been trending that way. So then, you know, Hollywood would start making movies somewhat tapered to China. The Transformers movies made a boatload of money in China. Um, you know, so it became like an emerging marketplace where there was a lot of money to be made. They would even like sneak Chinese stars in there just so that it would uh, appeal and hopefully get the, one of the coveted Chinese releases of the year for Hollywood. In the, yes, in that absolutely. And in some cases, China was able to straight up bail out a movie. The example I gave in my article was Warcraft, a movie that made four hundred and thirty nine million dollars worldwide, which isn't like terrible for one hundred and sixty million dollar budgeted movie. But at 225 million of that came from China. So, I mean, you're talking about absolutely getting bailed out. Um, so that was Hollywood's thing. But that was the exception, not the rule. That didn't always happen. So, you know, I think in the pandemic, obviously, you know, kind of started over there. Every movie theater was shut down. Um, but the other thing that was even happening before the pandemic is you had movies like Wolf Warrior 2 that made, you know, like something like $800 million, you know, pretty much in China alone. So they were like, we don't necessarily need Hollywood. Why are we going to use you for this stuff when we can make our own blockbusters? And then last year they had the battle at Lake Changjin, which made, you know, a tremendous amount of money over there. And so, you know, then you had, you know, Chinese governmental censors starting to say, okay, we want less Hollywood product and we want to focus more on our stuff. So it's become even harder to get a movie released in China now. And what we've seen this year is even when they do, they make very little money. The Batman made $770 million worldwide. It was one of few blockbusters that got a release in China. It only made $25.3 million in China. And a bigger point to make is that Chinese, Chinese uh, uh, splits are less favorable than they are in like a lot of other countries because of international taxes and deals they have to make to get those movies released in China, the studios only see about a quarter of that money. 
So, you know, even a $225 million haul, the studio is only going to see about 60 million of that, you know? So, you know, you got to take all that into account because you still have to market the movie in China, which is expensive and all that stuff. So, so ultimately this year, you know, I think we've seen that you can't chase Chinese box office dollars anymore. And that, that can only be viewed as like a bonus and not, not something that can be calculated in the final math of getting a movie made. Okay. So what studio did best this year? Is, is it Paramount or is it Disney? Yeah. So um, Disney made the most money this year. Disney was the first studio to make over $4 billion in a calendar year since the pandemic. Uh, that's misleading. Um, yes, they had hits like Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, and as we've discussed, Avatar The Way of Water, which is, you know, one of the only movies to make over a billion dollars this year. But that number was propped up by a lot of flops like Lightyear, like Strange World, like Amsterdam, like the Bob's Burgers movies, like Empire of Light. So they had more misfires, way more misfires than they had hits this year. You know, they also had like, um, uh, death on the Nile was another one, you know, so, so that number was propped up by a lot of misfires. And so I think Disney, even though they made the most money, they were not the best game in town. Yeah. Paramount pictures. I was going to say, judging by, uh, their change in leadership, uh, you know, they were not happy overall. No, let's be very clear. Bob Chapek was ousted for Bob Iger to return, which we had a whole podcast about that does not indicate you're doing well. Um, you know who didn't have a CEO switch this year was Paramount Pictures. Um, uh, Paramount <laughs> Pictures, Paramount Pictures to me, they are not by no means the biggest studio in town. They might even be absorbed and sold at some point. I don't know. But by the um, way, Ryan, like if you had asked me a year ago or maybe two years ago, I was like, which studio would would not be number one at the box office in 2022? I think I would have bet on Paramount. <laughs> right. The, the nothing said they were going to have the winning formula, but you know, and, and I would get, and let me, and I'm going to make a really bold statement here before I start talking about this. Even if you take Top Gun Maverick out of it, I would maybe put Paramount at number one for the year. Really? Um, that's how that's, but again, so my thing is you want to look at longevity and adjusting to the business as it exists. Paramount okay. executed pitch perfectly on every level, in my view. Yes, Top Gun Maverick, highest grossing movie of the year. They held that movie for two years, knowing it was worth waiting and maximizing. They were rewarded with $1.48 billion at the box office for their troubles. Absolutely good. But you got to look at the range of hits that studio had this year. They had Scream to open up the year, which revived that franchise. They had Jackass Forever, which revived that franchise. Both movies that made a ridiculously good amount of money against their very reasonable budgets. That's important. They were able to make The Lost City into a hit, a movie that made $190 million worldwide and proved that rom-coms were not a dead theatrical entity. They had Sonic the Hedgehog 2 make more than its predecessor, setting the page... Uh, paving the way for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Again, establishing a newer franchise. They had Smile, the highest grossing horror movie of the year, a movie that was originally supposed to go to Paramount Plus, but they wisely pivoted to theatrical after realizing what they had. The, the, you look at the movies they sent to streaming. Jerry and Marge Go Large, a very charming little movie, but not something that had a lot of theatrical prospects. A cheap movie to make. A perfect streaming exclusive release for the year 2022. Across the board, you know, horror, rom-coms, comedies, 
big action. But the thing here, Ryan, though, all... I, I feel like the, the only two things that feel like they're really calculated bits of genius is Top Gun Maverick, you know, holding that because you know that you have gold and uh, deciding to not really smile direct streaming and putting theatrical the other all those other bets feel like they could have gone any way and they ended up being you know winning bets to me i think i think at a certain point though when you see when you have like almost all of your slate for the entire year do well except for babylon which again when you make that movie with damien chazelle like i sort of get why you make that movie but like at a certain point, it's not an accident, right? Um, at a certain point, it's it's clearly decisions from the top down are being made right. The creative process is going right at that studio. Everything is going right. And then also, again, like I talked about, they were smart and said, okay, we have this VOD window now, so let's make our money in theaters, then let it go to VOD as well, because that's an extra revenue stream, and then people can still stream it on Paramount Plus if they want. So they sort of maximize the business as it exists on every level. And, you know, yeah, they made two big genius decisions, but even sandwiched between those genius decisions were just a bunch of good movies that they made that made good money. They didn't over budget those things. They made good business decisions all the way around. You know, that's something that Disney didn't do this year. That's something that Warner Brothers had a bit of a mixed bag with. You know, Universal had some pretty bad flops this year. This they, you know, fine. If you want to call it an accident, they still did it right. It's just so funny because on paper, aside from Top Gun Maverick, I would have said that, you know, going into this year, it would have been Babylon is the other, you know, gearing up to be somewhat of a success, either be a success for awards or whatever. You know, you have stars, you have an Academy Award winning uh, uh filmmaker you have you know it, it just felt like that is the one thing that paramount actually has that the chips in the game and it's the one thing they they lost out on it's which is funny yeah but but again it's like it's a bet that you know it's a bet that any studio would have made especially you know like it, of yeah. course you make that movie like i don't i think they over budgeted that movie i think that's the one mistake they really made but i also think that you know damien giselle had made a couple of huge hits and i think that he finally got a blank check and you know, it happens. No studio bats a thousand. Everyone's going to make a mistake. That's the nature of this business. But if your one mistake of the year is betting on a proven Oscar winning filmmaker with a cast that includes Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie, mm, is that that egregious of a mistake? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it sucks. They're going to lose a lot of money on that movie. But I mean, you know, I, I think it's a bet any studio could have been could have made. It's not. So I don't know, yeah. man. I just think that if you're looking at a template for how to do it in in the future as the business exists, I don't think anyone executed better than Paramount. It's not even close in my eyes. I mean, you are right. So wh what do you think this means for 2023? Like we're coming up to 2023. It's happening in a couple days, Ryan. Uh, what what do you see happening box office wise? Like, I mean, we know what movies are coming out. Like, it's not like the decision, like the box office of this year is going to determine big changes for next year because those movies were already in development, already being filmed. But what what do you see happening for this next year? Um, I, the one thing I sort of hope still happens is so one of the last things I would say is that you have this traditional thinking of like, okay, let's release our Oscar movies later in the year. Um, and then you kind of get this crowded slate of like adult friendly movies later in the year. And I think with those movies having a harder time at the box office right now, you need to spread the love a little bit. 
Everything Everywhere All at Once came out in March, and it is now arguably the front runner to win Best Picture. So you're sort of losing that argument that you need to release movies later in the year to be considered for awards. So my hope is that studios would maybe look at their release calendar a little bit, spread the love a little bit, you know, spread movies out across the year, don't overcrowd. Uh, we talked about this a lot earlier in the year, right after summer ended, there was just a lull point for almost two months. You know, like you, you need to really maximize the release calendar as best as you can. So these movies that can succeed have the best chance to. Um, I hope that happens a little more next year, um, but I don't know if it will, but I hope so. Um, I think, again, we're going to see slight adjustments. We're going to see you know, a, a, a bit more of an improvement, but again, it's not going to be dramatic. We're going to be on that slow climb until, you know, 2024, 2025, we see things settle down. Cause right now I think the big thing in 2023 belts are going to tighten, budgets are going to tighten, green lights are going to tighten, marketing spends are going to tighten because everyone's kind of, you know, stressed out about the future here. And so I think we're going to have to see the streaming business settle a bit, see where that ends up. And that'll sort of tee up the ball for what I believe will kind of be the new normal in 2024, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Okay. You can read all of Ryan's article. I'll put the link in the show notes. You can find this podcast every weekday on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. apps. Please <laughs> send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you I want to say on Monday, but Monday is January 2nd, so it might actually be Tuesday. We'll see you on Monday or Tuesday.